Hey, Rock, yeah, you know, I just, uh, you did a good job, you know? <laughs> I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> uh, good morning, I'm, I'm Isaac, the lead pastor, and just welcome. The costumes are just great, so fun. Uh, you at home, hopefully you get to see some pictures later of some of the great costumes that are here. Welcome for those of you who are online as well. We are in week eight of our series going through Romans 12, 9 through 21, and we're just taking a little bit at a time. So let's go to our scripture. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read the scripture out loud all together, and then we'll focus on the few words uh, this morning. Here we go. Say it with me. Here we go. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Today, be patient in suffering. This series is about how we who are following Jesus, the Christian community, posture ourselves before one another. We must no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, Um, Paul says earlier in Romans 12, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And today's invitation is to posture ourselves by being patient in suffering. (laughs) I struggle being patient with anything, (laughs) let alone being patient in suffering, Um, but I've you know, I've had patience before with suffering. When I was 10, I started to develop this knee pain. And uh, 17 years later, I went to the doctor about it. <laughs> and a microfracture surgery healed, or, you know, healed that ailment. And I felt much better. It just took me 17 years uh, to get there. I had a hard time admitting that I had a need for a solution. The pain was just in my head. Maybe you've been raised in an environment like that. Yeah, now I have another bout of knee pain. Um, I don't think it's related, but I had an MRI, and it only took me four weeks this time to get an MRI, so I'm less patient in suffering. Maybe that's what I am now. <laughs> well, I don't have to convince you much that we probably should consider our suffering. You suffer. We all do, financially, relationally. We suffer. Our bodies break. As Rockyette let us know, <laughs> other people hurt us. We hurt other people. 
we get abused, violence is done to us, we, over, we are overlooked, we are unable to achieve what is in our hearts, all sorts of ways of suffering. Tyler Nice, who has preached here um, a few times in the past, he's a high school history and economics teacher, and he pointed out that suffering is what every philosophy, political system, or economic system is trying to address. It's very interesting to think about. Life is full of suffering and pain. And so it might strike us a bit odd that Paul would have to encourage us to be patient in suffering because isn't that just what we're doing? <laughs> Life is just a long bout of suffering. But as I've thought about this over the last few weeks, I've become convinced that the scriptures ask us to engage with suffering in a robust way. And for that to happen, we, we must be patient. So I invite you to patiently bear with me as I patiently explain to you what I think the scriptures would lead us to. And the sermon may become insufferable, but this would simply be a fresh opportunity for you to be patient and suffering. So this is the most application-oriented message ever. You get to practice what I preach the whole time. So <laughs> all right, Stanley Harawas, he says this about suffering. He says, we are far too noisy around people who are suffering. What they need is presence. Hmm. Danya pointed out one of the Proverbs this last week, Proverbs 25.20 says this, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. In other words, we cannot gloss over suffering but we need to deal with it honestly. I think this is a part of why we need to be patient in it. We must be patient in our own suffering and patient with the suffering of others. So today we'll take a deeper look at suffering and then conclude our time by giving some application. And I've got a roadmap here so we know where we're going. Um, if you're, you're taking notes, um, please do. My dad read the message and he goes, Isaac, you prepare a feast for us which was a compliment. And I realized you may not be hungry for a feast. If that, if that, if that is you, then just you know, find the morsel that you want. You know, peruse and find what connects with you. But there's plenty this morning. We're going to do a brief overview of suffering. We're going to do four general responses to suffering that we see within the world. We're going to find the third step, Christian responses to those four general responses. So what is, how does Christianity more robustly answer some of the things about suffering? And then finally, we'll conclude with a brief section on how to be patient in suffering. Does that sound okay? Yeah, you know where we're going at least. So when we get there, you know that we are there. So first of all, an overview of suffering. First thing I feel like we should know, suffering is not God's plan. Not from the beginning, nor in the future. There are only two chapters in the whole Bible that are not squarely based in suffering. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, which frames our beginnings. In the beginning, God created a good world. He created a world in which love could live and love could flourish. And as we understand it, love is not love without choice. And so God gave free will choice to every human. We're created in his image and likeness. So he gave us the ability to love fully with choice. He gave, created a world that was made for peace and the flourishing of love when we choose him. But look what happened. And we see this uh, on the screen. I've illustrated it for us. That we see that we had good beginnings. 
And then right after good beginnings, we can insert the fall. <laughs> That's where things fell apart. And then the painful history and the painful present is suffering. This is the backdrop of everything. Suffering is the backdrop to the rest of scriptures and the whole of history. People cry out to God because they are suffering. God um, comes into people's suffering worlds. But people in the scriptures we see enact oppression on the powerless, reenact Cain's murder of Abel over and over again. And this, of course, creates just rampant suffering. Every system is full of suffering. But also the scriptures are full of visions and hope for the future. So the suffering is where we're at right now, but also we're going somewhere. The scriptures help us to see we are going somewhere. The scriptures look forward to a rescue, to a new heaven, a new earth, a, a renewal. It looks forward to reconciliation. Just as I was uh, studying this last week, here's one example that pulls my imagination into a future that we're built for, a future of peace. Every human heart desires this. I think you can, it's Isaiah. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. Praise God. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. The scriptures pull us into a future that is very different from the present. A future that will look like our beginnings in which there was none of this suffering. But our lives, your life and mine, is undeniably caught up with the unfolding drama of nations against nations. But this is what we long for, for honest peace. Why do we desire this? I believe it is because we are created for a world of peace and unity. The scriptures use this word shalom, which means God's peace, God's banner of love bringing us together. And at the beginning, there was no suffering. But God whispers to us about a future where there will be no more tears and no more pain. Praise God. And history, our experience unfolds between those two times. History that is rife with suffering. History that God entered into when God became flesh in the person of Jesus into suffering and then he bore suffering on himself. We'll come back to this. This is obviously paramount, a key idea for the Christian faith. So, Humans have dealt with suffering in a variety of ways, and uh, we'll see the four general responses to, to suffering. This is responses that have been developed outside of a full and robust understanding of the Christian scriptures. Pastor and theologian uh, Tim Keller, um, who has himself suffered through intense pancreatic cancer, has briefly outlined some responses to suffering from various cultures and religion. And as I listened to Tim, I could see the res those, responsoring the, uh, those responses in all of us. And so I wanted to point them out and then, as I said, make some observations about how the Christian, what a Christian response would be. So I'm gonna briefly explain each of these general responses and then talk about the robust resources that faith in Christ provides for suffering. Okay, so four general responses. Notice how we tend to think along these lines. I just I invite you to be self-reflective here. First of all, the first response, your suffering is justified. Karma would say this. That's a popular thing to, <laughs> to talk about. There's online videos about karma where somebody does something bad in one moment, and the next moment it comes back to get them. <laughs> yeah. So as I understand the, the karmic traditions, like Hindu, for example, um, and again, I'm not an expert in Hindu, but I, 
but this is what I understand. They believe that, that uh, pain now is because of the way you lived in a previous life. And so how you've lived in a previous life merits what you get now. It is karma, <laughs> as they say. You can make your next life better uh, by being better now. Therefore, present suffering is justified. You get what you deserve. Okay, we'll come back to that. Number two, your suffering comes from unrealistic expectations. It's a way that some systems and philosophies in the world have, have dealt with suffering. Nearly everyone admits that there is suffering in life, but some systems teach us to let go of expectations. Overcome this expectation so you're no longer disappointed. As I understand it, this is some of what Buddhism suggests. It acknowledges that life is suffering, but suffering is based upon a, an expectation about a reality that isn't real. And as you become one with the big consciousness, then you're no longer affected by suffering because you've let go of expectation. Remove expectations and suffering goes away or can be dealt with. We'll come back to this. Third response to suffering. Pretty common. Some of us were raised by in a you know, parenting system that <laughs> affirms this. Your suffering should be endured with stoic grit. Uh, one of the key tenets of Stoicism, a historic belief system that is making a comeback, by the way, this is making a comeback, is that our emotions or our passions are dangerous. Um, nature is a rational expression of cause and effect. And so suffering is not bad, but just to be endured dispassionately, which means without emotion, just as pleasure is also to be experienced dispassionately. So Stoicism asks us to lay aside our emotions as being significant at all and only to rational with a tough world and therefore to express stoic grit. In other words, don't let suffering get to you. Or suffer nobly by not getting too attached. So in stoic systems, attachment between parent and child is very limited because that if you become too attached, then you will not be able to endure stoically, but will probably express emotion. Mongolian children, for example, do not have any human contact, traditional Mongolian contact, or culture, do not have any hu human contact with their caregivers and are often left alone because that culture is based upon a warrior culture in which the highest value is being able to dispassionately engage with a brutal world. The fourth, and this is where we all find ourselves, fourth response to suffering. Your suffering is to be avoided, numbed, or prevented. Prevent suffering. Numb it with entertainment, indulgence, medicine. This is the modern secular system, which uh, is suggested to be the least capable system of dealing with suffering. This is the system that we all live in. Dr. Paul Brand, who was a British orthopedic surgeon who worked half his life among the leprous of India and then half of his life in the United States, he said this. He said, in the United States of America, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had ever previously treated, 
but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. Very interesting. Now, there are grains of truth in each of these responses. But I want us to this morning to consider how our Christian vision, the Christian vision of the scriptures regarding suffering stacks up. Reminder, the scriptures let us know that suffering is our present experience, but is not what the future holds. And that's a very key concept. So the following are Christian responses to the four responses to suffering in the world. And I hope that you see how robust our faith is in regard to suffering. It does not deny suffering. It does not justify the unjustifiable. It does not require us to be emotionless or passionless. And it holds our pain-adverse culture accountable. So here are four responses. Going back through those, first of all, in response to this idea that your suffering is justified. As I said, there's some truth in this. The Bible does not overlook cause and effect. Paul says in Galatians that God will not be mocked. He writes this towards the end of the Galatians in chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the spirit, you will reap eternal life from the spirit. So yes, some of our suffering is justified. Uh, My broken left knee (laughs) is a bit justified because I haven't kept the weight off that I've been told to keep off. I've sown to the flesh. And so there is a just suffering that I have done to me, not somebody has done to me. Now, it would be convenient to attribute suffering to causes in lifetimes gone past. And on one hand, apart from the revelation of the Christian scriptures, that would feel like a logical or even a merciful outlook on suffering because it can be explained at any moment. But this thought system has justified horrific socio-political models like the caste system in India or chattel slavery in the South. If all suffering is just, then so is all privilege. If you are born into a lower status, it's your fault and your sour grapes to eat. You were born into the bed and you must now lie in it. Therefore, this thought system would suggest it may be even sinful for me to try to help you out of your squalor, for I may interfere with your ability to be good, for you to be good and righteous in your squalor and keep you from leveling up, as the kids say, in the life to come. Central to our faith is that the perfect son of God suffered unjustly, born into a peasant family, forced into exile as a toddler, returning to his home as a refugee, raised poor, ultimately dying an unjust death on the cross. Peter tells us, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. And then Peter quotes Isaiah 53, which is one of those passages that help us to see a bigger picture. He, referring to Jesus, committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. No, not all suffering is just. And not all suffering is to be tolerated, but is to be overcome by good. Paul says to be patient in suffering regarding a response to this way of thinking. Why would he say this? Because suffering is not easily understood. We must be patient in it. 
We must be patient so we don't too quickly assign blame for the ills of the world. The pandemic has not been easy for anyone, but we are called to be patient in this season of suffering. If we are not patient, we will too quickly judge and we will misrepresent the mercy of God. Also, as race tensions continue to foment within our culture to drive people apart, I, for one, am taking a long and patient listen to people of color so that I can understand. Christians must be patient and not be too quick to judge. Part of the system that says we can understand suffering because of cause and effect, and if you would have just done this, if they would have just done that, then we wouldn't be suffering. Do you see how this is a part of us? We must be patient in suffering so that we are not quick to judge. Number two, your suffering comes from unrealistic expectations. The Christian response to this. Yes, we can incur suffering by having unrealistic expectations. This happens all the time. Listen to this. We live in a culture that suggests that every human should be able to totally self-actualize, be what they want to be, choose their identity, their own path, according to their logic, and that a morass of individuals, each choosing their own path, will miraculously coalesce into a functioning, fair, equal society in which everyone can think what they want, be what they want, have what they want, say what they want with no consequence. That is an unrealistic expectation. And we live in real suffering as a result of that lie that we tend to believe. Now, why this way of thinking, of helping us to minimize uh, our expectations provides some resource for dealing with suffering. Does the denial of expectations correspond to way, the way that humans are actually made? Is reality only a mirage in which all of our desires and hopes are vaporous vanity? Consider, is it intrinsically wrong for a woman who cannot have children to want to have children? As she suffers, it's just because her expectations need to change. Or think about some of us, many of us are dealing with family dis discord as a result of this last season. Is it an unrealistic, expect, unrealistic expectation to be embraced by a member of your family in love despite your differences? Or is it just you who needs to change your expectations? Or the normal desire to be listened to and understood and not just be talked on, talked at. Is all of what we consider to be reality really just mirages and false hopes? The Christian scriptures never hesitate to empathize with suffering. Rather, the scriptures seem to jump to validate suffering. The Christian scriptures, we read about weeping and gnashing and shouting and wailing and crying. And the God of the Christian scriptures, our God, always holds people accountable for incurring suffering. He woo warns, he woos, he works hard to call us into justice and mercy. In other words, suffering is a very real thing that is based upon the hopes that we have built into who we are not coming to pass because sin is ruling this present world. For example, Jeremiah warns the people to follow God and not the idols of our culture. Just think about how our God is warning us away from these things, not just minimizing our expectations. 
He says, if you still refuse to listen, I will weep alone because of your pride. My eyes will overflow with tears because the Lord's flock will be led away into exile. And then he promises a future that fulfills our deepest desire. So he warns us and and helps us to avoid suffering by choosing him, acknowledging that not choosing him does create suffering. And then he puts these hopes into our hearts and our minds. In Revelation 21, in the future, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. Somebody say amen. So suffering is not simply a mirage, nor is hope. Both are grounded in reality dictated by God. Paul says, be patient in suffering. In regards to this Christian response towards suffering, why would he say that? Suffering is not just the result of false expectations. We must be patient with those who suffer because we must learn to discern what of their cries are based on just and right desires and hopes. We must listen well to the marginalized, the refugee, the oppressed, those who are suffering. And we cannot just ask them to change their expectations, but we must discern well. Be patient in suffering. The third and a Christian response. Your suffering is to be endured with stoic grit. <laughs> Again, there's some truth in this. As Wesley says in The Princess Bride, <laughs> life is pain. <laughs> right? Yeah. Donnie wanted me to tell you all that I look like Wesley. I think especially with the mask on, you know. He's got the mask on the, lo- the wrong half of the face. But um, anyway. <laughs> The scriptures seem to affirm this in a certain way. There's some truth in this. Paul tells the young pastor Timothy, share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. James and Peter both teach us that suffering produces good in us. But I've noticed a militant stoicism attempting to take root in Christianity again. My response to those who would suggest that emotions are not of God, the shortest verse in the Bible, this one right here. Let's read it together. Jesus wept. If noble endurance is the only thing to do when we suffer, then we will try to experiencing suffering from a distance. This is what soldiers are trained to do. They're trained to divorce themselves from their humanness so that they would be able to exact death on another human. But Jesus seems to jump right into the pain of humanity. And this verse is recorded upon him hearing of the death of his friend, Lazarus. He wept. Jesus Wept. He wept over Jerusalem. Jesus expresses emotion. As the perfect man, Jesus does not affirm a dispassionate response to suffering. Paul says, be patient in suffering. Why? In regards to this response, we should be patient in suffering because those who chronically suffer are not just weak. Those who chronically suffer are not just weak. Our faith provides endless resources for us to extend Mercy and long listening ears to those who are ailing. We should be cautious not to cultivate a stoic, emotionless response. We should not become a warrior culture, 
but rather an emotionally connected, weeping and laughing and joyful and vibrant and full and hopeful and hope coming from our acknowledging our present distress. That's the vivacious community that God envisions for it is he who created our emotions And fourth, your suffering is to be avoided, numbed, or prevented. (laughs) Our culture really wants people to feel better. So we prescribe a lot of pain medication. An article, a CNBC article in 2016 stated that approximately approximately 80% of the global opiate supply is consumed in the United States. We are 4.5% of the world's population, but we use 80% of the prescribed pain medication. Isn't that crazy? Some of you are like, yeah, because it hurts. And like, okay, yeah. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But here's, and here is where there is truth in this. We believe that we should work hard to care for the suffering, the poor, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan. Christians should stand up for the vulnerable, the weak, and those who cannot stand up for themselves. Hospitals were built by Christians. This is a very Christian idea to provide a space and expertise for people to receive comfort, consolation, and healing for their ailments. So we should bring consolation to the suffering. (laughs) We should be pain relievers as it was. This is why we here at New Hope have trained Stephen ministers. Stephen ministers are individuals that are trained to walk with you through painful seasons to comfort you with the comfort of Christ that they have received. However, our culture has become so addicted to numbing pain or avoiding pain that we have lost loads of people to endless streaming of media and entertainment so they don't have to deal with reality as it is. Rather than being consoled by the Lord or being consoled by the body of Christ, we trade in consolation via media consumption, or by copious amounts of fun. All are exercises in denial. You are being taught by your culture every day to live in denial and not to experience what good suffering can do for you. Or we become enamored by our own ability to make a better future. We talked about this last week quite a bit. We get hope thinking like the just around the river bend, you know, it's like just around there. It's going to be, it's going to be better if we just do this. When God says just around the river bend, I am making all things new. Receive comfort in me, not in the promises, the technique, the skills of mankind. Paul says to be patient in suffering. Why? In regards to this response to suffering, although we have endless resources to minimizing pain, we should also allow pain and suffering to teach and guide us. We should be patient. We should, yes, cry and mourn, but like Job, we should point our grief towards God and allow him to carry us. The consolation of Netflix is a poor substitute for the consolation of God. Okay. Four responses to suffering and then the Christian responses to those responses. This is becoming like Dr. Seuss. All right. I hope you see how robust our faith is in regard to suffering. I hope there's been something in here that would help you. Our faith does not deny suffering. 
Our faith does not justify the unjustifiable. It does not require us to be passionless. And it holds our pain-averse culture, excuse me, pain-averse culture accountable. So back to the verse. Be patient in suffering. How to be patient in suffering. And just for brief applications that need to be worked out uh, over time. The first is this, suffer together. You're given the body of Christ. This is not a TED talk that you attend. This is not a music concert that you attend. This is a community that is being built. And a part of what the community does is helps you to honestly suffer, to suffer together. So you'll be hearing about a month from now, signups for community groups that will start again in the new year. Already be praying about how you can continue in your community group or join one so that you have connection and relationship. We need to suffer together. Number two, we need to suffer with honesty. I encourage you, if you didn't see last week's message about rejoicing in hope, we talked about how hope begins by mourning our present distress, being honest about what is real in our lives. That is the foundation of hope. (laughs) Yeah, God told me it was long too, so just tell him I'm almost done. (laughs) The third invitation, suffer with God. I mentioned Job. Job is a long book in the Old Testament. It's probably the oldest book written in the Old Testament, and it's all about a man that was unfairly afflicted and his response and his friend's response to suffering. And what you see is that he suffered with God. He cried out. He was honest to God. And in the end, he is given accommodation from the Lord for how he dealt with it. He, while he was honest with God, he never cursed God. The invitation is to suffer with God. Include God in your processing by developing a devotional life of reading and prayer so that you can be patient in suffering. And the fourth, an invitation to have patience for others. I have noticed at times that I am impatient with those who are suffering around me because I don't like the inconvenience of their suffering. But Paul says to be patient in suffering. So in sum, here is what we have learned today. Take a photo of this screen if you need to, (laughs) to remember what we have learned. Suffering exists presently between a perfect beginning and a redeemed future. This is not the beginning, and this will not be the end. But now, uh, we live in it. The world has provided us with four incomplete responses to suffering. Our Christian faith provides robust resources for all aspects of suffering. And finally, we should be patient in suffering in order to be an accurate witness of Jesus in a hurting world. Maybe so. Okay. At the end of every service, we receive communion together, an opportunity to reflect on the body of Jesus broken for us, his blood spilled out for the forgiveness of sins, and to ingest that every week as a reminder that we are being remade and we are given new hope because of his work on our behalf. So as we prepare for communion, Um, Would you go ahead and stand? And I want to read you a scripture and then we are going to pray a prayer of confession together. This is the writer of Hebrews. And she writes, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. 
let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God loved us so much that he entered right into our suffering and then he bore upon his body suffering. And he was able to translate that suffering into hope and redemption. What we'll do is we'll, we'll come down to the front and Chris will be on this side and I'll be on this side and we will give you the communion elements and we will say to you, Jesus weeps with you in your suffering. Jesus is present in your suffering. Let's pray this prayer of confession and then we'll receive communion. Pray this with me, ready, go. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I admit that I have been wrong in thought, in motive, and in action. It is only by your grace that I can be freed from my guilty conscience. Please forgive me. Help me to live purely today. Thank you. Amen. Because Jesus entered our suffering, we now get to enter into his throne room of grace. Come forward in the next couple of minutes, receive the elements, receive that grace, and then we'll sing a song and I will close us in just a minute.